Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Your Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations to solve their biggest problems and leverage their largest opportunities. I do this through a combination of roles from executive advising to consultant to coach. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted that today our guest is Victor Prince. He's a leadership author, trainer, speaker, and coach. His latest book, The Camino Way, Lessons in Leadership from a Walk Across Spain, has made the Amazon.com bestseller list in seven categories, and it's also published in four languages. Victor has a 20-plus year career as a leader in business and government. As the chief operating officer for the consumer Financial Protection Bureau, he led a division of 300 people. As, as a Bain and Company consultant, he helped clients across the U.S. and Europe develop successful business strategies. Victor has an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So as we, as leaders, as we are facing a large volume of change, my goal with this show is to help you stay current, innovate how you lead. And so I invite guests who are presenting different perspectives on leadership and or different tools or different experience. And so Victor is going to talk about the best way to become a better leader is to become a better self. Sometimes taking on a big adventure on your vacation is a great way to do that. And if we think to some of the conversations about vertical development, one of the things we have learned is that stepping out of your comfort zone and having basically a disorienting dilemma and depending on the the level of adventure on your vacation they can certainly provide disorientation is one of the better ways to develop not only horizontally but move to the next way of making sense of the world uh, which is how we truly advance our leadership so victor welcome thank you thanks maureen Okay, so today we're going to talk about the seven Camino values uh, that your book centers on. So let's start with number one. Sure. So the, just to set it up, the, um, on the, every pilgrim on the Camino gets a, a credential that says that they're a pilgrim, and it's a place where you gather stamps along the way to prove that you've walked the whole distance. And on the, on the back of the, the credential that Americans get, there's seven values that you're supposed to live while you're on the Camino, and that's, that's kind of one of the, at the heart of my book. So the, uh, the first one is welcome each day, its pleasures and challenges. And um, so when you, when you walk 500 miles across Spain, every, you have a lot of days and, and every day has, has a share of pleasures and challenges. And the, uh, the, uh, you learn to embrace both. And, and the, the biggest challenge I faced came about maybe day 10 or so. And I was, um, the day before I'd walked 24 miles because I'd, I'd screwed up in my planning and, and kind of j- jammed two days into one. 
And the next mm. day I get up and I'm walking and for about the first two hours, I'm just staring at this huge hill ahead of me that I, that I have to get over. And it's, it's July in Spain, so it's pretty darn hot. And um, yeah, I kind of had this moment where I, where I just I, I said, what on earth am I doing? You know, this is, this is crazy. This is, I'll, I'll never be able to walk across Spain. But I kept going. And when I got about halfway up that hill, I saw a marker on the side to a pilgrim who had died on that spot trying to get up the hill. And it really put, put my challenges into perspective because I realized that a lot of folks out there would, would gladly change, you know, uh, change their, um, their challenges that day with mine. And, and even though I was having a bad day, I was having a bad day on the Camino, and I was doing something I love. So it really put my challenges into perspective that day. So when I got to the top of the hill, I had this, saw this beautiful view. And in some ways, that, that, that picture I took changed my life because I, I used that picture at the top of a blog that, that, ended up, that snowballed into this book deal. So um, I, and I ended up dedicating the book to the, to the pilgrim whose, whose marker was on the side of that because he didn't get a chance to see that view, but, but he helped me get to the top of that hill. So I wanted to... Uh, to thank him for that. So that, that's the story about welcome each day. It's pleasures and challenges. So first, what an amazing story that, yeah. that you were able to take something that was quite challenging and, and turn it into something that changed your life in some ways. Yeah. It's all about embracing that because it's, it's, for me, it was all about realizing that even if you have a challenge when you're doing something you love, it's still a great mm-hmm. thing because you're doing something you love. I climbed Kilimanjaro, and so I had a lot of days or a lot of moments uh, over the number of days uh, where I wished that I had chosen to be on (laughs) a beach with a cocktail. Absolutely. Not on a long trek with (laughs) no bathing facilities. Yeah. How how long did your trip take, the 500 miles? Yeah, so to walk the Camino, it's... uh, if, if you go all the way across Spain, it, it takes about 32 days walking 15 miles a day. So uh, you get pretty close to about 500 miles. So it takes about a month. So you took a month off and walked across Spain. Yeah. And <laughs> what motivated you to do that? This is something I'm actually really interested in. So I'm curious as a le- both, this would be a cool vacation, but a month off is a long time. What's, what was the inspiration? Yeah, I was taking a sabbatical, so I took six months off. And then the, the reason why I did the Camino was, was really two things. One is I do hiking and, and biking trips for fun, but uh, the Camino is one of the few places that you can do it for 30 days without having to camp. So it was, uh, I, I didn't do it because it was this 1,000-year-old pilgrimage trail. I just did it because I hate camping, but it turned out to be a very special experience beyond that. So can you tell us, sorry, I should have jumped in with, with uh, the explanation first. What made it such an exciting experience? Yeah, I think so. The, the Camino itself, it's a thousand-year-old pilgrimage trail. So there's just many things that, um, that make it special. But one of the, the neat things about when you do it now is uh, it's a combination of you get this alone time as you walk across these big distances. And, and you really get to reflect on your career and your life and think about all the things that, that you'd wish you'd done differently. But then you combine that with you meet all these people from around the world. So... Last year, uh, over 300,000 people from all over Europe and all over the world uh, completed this trail. So you're meeting all these strangers and you're having these intense experiences with them. And it's, it's just a, it's a phenomenal self-development opportunity as well as a great hike. So you didn't do this with family or other people? No, I, I did it alone. In, in fact, a lot of people do it alone. But what you find is that 
as you walk, you end up kind of walking with the same group of people, and, and you can be part of a group if you want. So you, uh, a lot of people do it alone, but they end, up, they end up walking with others. So was there someone you met that was most interesting? Uh, definitely. So I, I met my girlfriend on the trail five years ago, so that, was, that probably qualifies, and we're still together five years later. So, but yeah, you meet, you meet people from all over Europe and, and all these different cultures. It's just a wonderful experience. So, so the second one of the values is make others feel welcome. Tell us about that as we're talking about meeting strangers. Yeah, so the, the, the story I tell here is, so um, yeah, about a, a week or so into my, to my walk is when the blisters started hitting me. And I, I limped into this little town. And then um, as I went to dinner, I showed some other pilgrims my blisters because that's kind of what pilgrims do because everyone's got a theory <laughs> on how to, how to treat blisters. And then uh, they, they told me, you know, that, that one looks like it's getting infected and you should go to the pharmacy. And there was, it was a small town. There's only one pharmacy. So I, I kind of, I, I limped to the pharmacy. When I got there, the, the, uh, the door was closed and there was a clothes sign on it, but there was an older gentleman in there cleaning up. And I, I didn't knock, but he came to the door and he cracked the door open and he said one word. He said, Peregrino, which is the Spanish word for pilgrim. And I said, see, and I, I pointed to my blister as a way to show him what I needed. And then he said, in a momento, and, and he uh, pushed a, a, a button on a box right outside the door. And about five, maybe 10 minutes later, a very irritated pharmacist showed up and asked me what kind of uh, heart medication I needed. And I said, no, 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 it's just, you know, I just need a blister. I just need something for my blister. And she was very mad. She uh, said some words in Spanish to the old man that, that they definitely don't teach you. And then, but she gave me my prescription and the old man was kind of like, oh, I, you know, I apologize. I didn't understand the American. Sorry for the confusion. But then he walked me to the door. And as we got to the door, he, he took my hand, he shook it and he winked at me in a conspiratorial way. And he said, Buen Camino. So that old man knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was going to get in trouble, but he saw a stranger in need and he decided to be the kind stranger. And when I think about the, um, that act of that small act of kindness on his part changed my life in some ways because had I not gotten that blister treated, I may not have finished my Camino. And, I, and if I didn't finish the Camino, I certainly wouldn't have written a book about it. So it's the, the lesson I took from that is make others feel welcome because the smallest act of kindness on your part can have a huge impact on someone else's life. So how did you bring that back as a leader? What, how do you behave differently? And can you give us an example? Yeah, so, you know, just on a, on a very specific way, so if, if you run an operation, um, you have to be ready for, you know, when strangers come to your, to your, your office door or, or when uh, maybe a call comes into your call center that you're not expecting, and you should train people to have protocols on how to handle that, what to do. So, so the best thing is to, you know, to, to get people prepared for that before it happens so they, they know how they can be helpful. Beautiful example. So we are going to go on break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Victor Prince, and we're talking about Victor's trip across the Camino, the 500-mile hike across Spain, and we will be back momentarily. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Victor Prince, and we are talking about Victor's book, The Camino Way, Lessons in Leadership from a Walk Across Spain. So, Victor, what is number three and... How have you put that into practice in your leadership? Sure. So the third value that pilgrims are supposed to live while they're on the Camino is live in the moment. And, you know, when I first read this, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I kind of ended up uh, learning it uh, a very simple way, which is uh, I'm I'm very addicted to my iPhone and and my Blackberry and and all that kind of stuff. So when when I was planning to do my Camino, I kind of plugged that addiction into my plan and I loaded my iPhone up with hundreds of, of hours of audiobooks because I figured that mm-hmm. I was going to get bored walking across walking across Spain and I, and I like doing audiobooks when I run and things. So um, I put all those in, but then the first day when I was walking, I decided to to not put my earbuds in um, and just kind of just walk for a little bit. And it turns out I never put my my headphones in the entire uh, month across Spain. And in many ways that. That, uh, that changed my life because by not having these um, headphones in, I found that I was much more connected to the Camino and, and more importantly, to, to the people along it. Because I think two things happened. So one was when I didn't have, you know, when I wasn't just listening to uh, the books and paying attention to my phone, I had to, I experienced all the things that I was, was walking through and I met people and other things. But I think the, the bigger thing was by not having, you know, my face buried in my phone or, or the headphones on, I was a lot more open to other people to come up and meet me. And in mm. many ways, that changed my life because I met people from all over the world, including 
as I mentioned, you know, I met my girlfriend on the on the trail. Um, and if I just, you know, it kind of, it scares me to think if, if I just, if I'd been like my original plan and just kind of buried myself in headphones, I would have had a much different Camino and, and in many ways, much different life after that. So interesting, when I did uh, Kilimanjaro and we also did an outward bound in Costa Rica and the Costa Rica trip, we had a bunch of things go wrong. Um, <laughs> we ran out of water. Mm. Um, our driver drove, basically we found out our driver was a bit drunk when we, he was oh, driving goodness. us up the mountain and um, slightly off the road um, to the point that we had to have people crawl out of the other side of the car and Ugh. make sure no one, <laughs> you know, plummeted. So, so one of, and this was before iPhones, it was interesting how much kind of self-talk I had to do to keep myself going on days where I was, you know, we, with no water, in pain, in heat. We certainly talked to each other. People sang. I think we sang the entire Rent <laughs> performance many times. I think everyone on that trip could still probably recite all of it word for word. But it would, same thing. It was interesting that I the introspection and talking myself through the summit of Kilimanjaro because of the altitude was incredibly difficult for me. And to the point that the guide would basically pick me up like a rag doll and tell me, (laughs) you know, five more steps, five more steps. Uh, And then I'd fall over and he'd pick me up. Um, That self-talk really, and, and the learning that even stuff that seemed totally unsurmountable because I wasn't a very athletic person, that I could overcome a lot. And so for me, that being in the moment really reminded me that I've got the capacity now when I'm doing something I'm uncomfortable with, you're going to get through this. Yeah. yeah in, in funny ways, I, you know, I, I talk about the, um, the, the, my iPhone as I call it, a weapon of mass distraction, <laughs> because mm-hmm. you know they're one, they're wonderful tools to to keep you connected with the world, but at the same time they they are distraction from the real real world that you're in at the moment. So that you know to me is you know I don't know if, if you, you maybe your phone didn't work and that kind of things when you're on the mountain, but I'm so glad that you know just forcing me to unplug really helped plug me into the real world. We were much more remote, and this was earlier in in phone distribution so the actually in costa rica the only phone the only way the guides would know if we were lost or injured was if we didn't return five days after our return date oh my goodness can you imagine now oh my my goodness somebody would have died and we would have just all sat there watching a a carcass and it was then we were traveling with a few physicians and we did have one emergency but we happened to be hiking near a road and were able to get this person to a hospital but but it I mean, we wouldn't imagine now going on a trip without phone access yeah i think that was why they had us sign those waivers <laughs> you know so one thing one thing that's neat about the camino is that because the trail's so old it's over a thousand years old that that villages sprouted up along the trail to, to kind of support pilgrims. So you never have to camp. There's always places to stay and eat and along the way. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I did the trail. It wasn't that remote like your trip. So one of the people we I interviewed early in the show, I think her name is Leslie Southwick Trask, did the Camino. She was a senior executive in Canada. 
um, came back, looked at her pictures, realized there was a for sale sign on some <laughs> old building. She ended up leaving Canada, moving to Spain, rehabbing that building, and now she runs one of the places along the way. That's wonderful. So it, it's it's fun to go full circle with you in this conversation because you probably stayed with her. <laughs> very, very may have. Because what's neat about that is is you can experience the Camino by walking it yourself, or it's kind of like it's like a river of people that goes by every day. So if you have a, yeah, if you work at one of the hostels along the way, you get to see all these people as they go through. So it's a different way to experience the Camino. My goal was actually to to facilitate some leadership se- classes in her place, but I haven't gotten there yet. So <laughs> maybe you will inspire me. Yeah. So let's go on to number four. Yeah, so the fourth value that pilgrims are asked to share while they're on the trail is share. And it's a pretty, you know, pretty simple value, but then um, as you walk the trail, you, you see all kinds of examples of sharing because people, uh, you know, pilgrims share, they share stories with each other, they share food, and in these, you know, in a lot of the hostels like your friend has, a lot of times they end up sharing, you know, it might be like 10 people in a bedroom and bunk beds, so you can share kind of a room at night. But the, uh, the most interesting example I saw sharing on the trail was... Um, uh, it was when I was walking through the uh, the beautiful wine country in Spain that the trail goes through in, in Rioja, Navarra. And at one point, there was there was a winery that put up a, f- a free wine fountain just for pilgrims. And then so you could go up and you, uh, as a free tap, and you get red or white wine and, and uh, yeah, you kind of enjoy it. And so I remember when I got there, uh, I filled my water bottle up and, and you had a, had a nice moment with, uh, yeah, the, the day was a little bit slower. After that, I walked a little bit slower, but um, after I, after I uh, stopped at the wine fountain, you know, then my MBA brain kicked in, and I'm like, you know, why on earth would this winery give out free wine? And it just it seems like it's a hassle and not a great idea. And uh, but then but then I started kind of doing the math, and I realized that um, what they'd done is that they basically had a distribution center that was sitting right on the Camino, and all they all they did really was poke a hole in the wall. And you know, they, the wine they were given probably wasn't their their best wine. It was, it was it was quite nice, but it probably wasn't their best wine. And they literally had zero transportation costs because it was you know their their facility was right on the the Camino. So the the light bulb went off for me that th- this winery had found a profitable giveaway as a way to share. So they 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 found something that basically cost them nothing to give away, but when they gave it away to others, it created enormous value in others. And I think that's a real a neat lesson for for leaders is like as organizations we should find these pockets of things that that you know if we give them away they're they're not really uh, any significant cost to us but they create enormous value for our customers or or the community or others and I, I think about you know one example in the U.S. that I think about is in uh, Major League Baseball when when a player throws a baseball you know up to the kid up to a kid in the stands that 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 baseball costs the team you know basically nothing but it creates this priceless memory for a kid. So I just I encourage us as in big organizations to think about where we can where we can give away things that are really uh, low cost for us but create enormous value for our community or our customers or others. So, bringing that back to your life, what do you share? Yeah, so you know I, I think one of the things that leaders uh, to, can do today is you know, I remember you know a lot of times we have like team building days where we go out and do a fun event you know we might go rafting or. Something like that, um, but then I think one of the one of the, the best team events that, that I had is when we were sharing and giving back by um, doing our our team event, but doing it something giving back to the community. So when I was I had I worked in San Diego for a while, for example, and we used to go 
and make our team event day be we walk along and, and just pick up trash on the beach. And it was you know, very, very kind of a fun thing because you're on the beach, but at the same time you're giving back. So it's, you know, that, was, that was one way to, to kind of find a, a profitable giveaway when you have a, a team day like that to do. You can do like Habitat for Humanity is another one we did. So, you know, finding ways where you can take your, your team events and, and give back mm-hmm. is, is a really good way to do that, I think. We interviewed someone who runs our local Meals on Wheels program. And one of the things he talked about is companies will adopt a route. The, the Meals on Wheels folks will drop the food off at the company. And then the, the folks in the organization take turns delivering the meals and he said it's a great way to onboard new people mm. because it is, it's doing an, an informal activity, but people feel good about it yeah. when they get to connect with folks who are at, in that moment less fortunate, right? That they can't go get their own food yeah. or they may not have the financial resources. So it's often health or money uh, that that people get to have a positive experience. It's team building. And it also reminds us that we really, most of us, are really, really fortunate in where we are in life. Absolutely. And we don't always stay that way. And, and I, what I mean by that is we're all going to age at some point, or we hope we live long enough to age, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really neat as a leader to have those team-building things when you, when you get totally outside of the office and do something that's constructive, but, but you know, for a good cause. It, it, it does, because it, it forces you to work together as a team, but in a different way, so you... You, uh, you build team building skills and, and other mm-hmm. things by doing that. You know, the other one, if we're looking for folks, for something that with younger people is the junior achievement program where, where again, organizations can go in and teach younger folks, so K through 12, basic life skills. So so most of us who have jobs and, and especially if we're running companies, can take the hour out once every periodic amount of time to go back and, and either mentor or teach children. So there really are a lot of ways to share our expertise. Now I realize that time is not free, right? but there is no financial price tag on it. And the impact of mentoring young folks is huge when we think about the impact what happens over the course of their life based on some amount of hours we donate. Yep, absolutely. So let's go to the fifth. So the fifth value uh, is feel the spirit of those who have come before you. And so the the people have been walking the Camino for over a thousand years. And then so as as you walk, you actually almost kind of hear the footsteps of of the people from Mm. the medieval ages and others. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed you're supposed to kind of keep them in mind as you walk this, and and I remember um, I kind of learned the hard way that I that I wasn't doing that because when I um, when I decided to do the Camino, I'm a, I'm a planner, so I I decided I was going to start you know you know I had a 30 days and I was going to start in Pamplona and and uh, well for about 29 days my, on my first Camino, and then um, so I took out a map and I did the math and I said all right it's about 450 miles. And I've got 30 days, so you know, I'm going to do 15 miles a day. And then I, I looked at the map, and I was trying to find little villages along the way where I could stay because I don't like to camp. So I was you know, looking for a place that had a hostel or whatever, and, and, I, and I did this. And then as, as I built this itinerary, it ended up being a really big trade-off model because you, know, that you wanted to walk right about 15 miles a day because if you walk too little one day, then you had to walk really far the next day. And 
but you had to keep to your goals. So it, it became, I, I remember when I went to a business school at Wharton, they made us take a class called linear programming. Mm-hmm. And it was you know, how to do these trade-off models. And I, I, it was never useful to me in the real world, but now I finally had a, a chance to, <laughs> to kind of use it. So I, you know, I, I built this big spreadsheet and I had like the perfect route with just the right number of, of days each, you know, uh, miles each day and that would get me from you know, one, one village to another. And I was really, really proud of myself because it, it, it took me hours and days to, to do this thing. And then um, just before I left for the Camino, I, I said, I, you know, I probably should get a map. So I, I bought a guidebook and then I opened the guidebook up and it, and it, it kind of divided up the, the trail into, into about you know, 30, 30 segments. And I, you know, segment one was exactly what I had planned and then segment two was exactly what I planned. So I, what, I, what I'd done is by doing this massive spreadsheet, I had recreated what this guidebook had done mm-hmm. and I, so I didn't feel so smart because if I were smart I would have figured that if people have been walking this trail for a thousand years somebody's probably figured out a pretty good route <laughs> but you know I'm a, I'm a smart MBA and I've, I've got these uh, analytical tools and others so I dug right in and I just I did start crunching numbers and doing that so I, I realized that I wasn't feeling the spirit of those who've come before me and that the lesson I took from that is you know a lot of times at work when we get a new assignment or something, we want to just jump right in and, and kind of start doing the analysis or start doing the work. But sometimes the best thing you can do is think about those who have you know been there before you and, and see what you can learn from their experience. So, you know, maybe instead of just jumping right in and trying to move forward, it's taking a step and looking backwards to start and say, you know, mm-hmm. who's done this before? Who can I talk to? What can I learn from them? You know, just just because people may have tried it in the past doesn't mean that you know you shouldn't do it again. But you should at least know what what they've learned from that experience. So that that was a big example for me, not just to dive in, but to to really start by going backwards. You know, as you say that, I think of onboarding and how often new leaders come in and they assume their predecessor was somehow incompetent. Yeah, like I've identified these quick wins. Like unless they were incompetent, they would have done them if they were easy. Yeah. The fact yeah. that they haven't says they are likely not as as simple as one might s- believe on the surface. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. important to, to stay away from that, oh, we've tried that before. So you, you don't want to just get to the, the point where you look backwards and say, oh, we've tried that before, so it doesn't make sense to try again. But you want to make sure you at least know what was tried and what you can learn from. Mm-hmm. So if you start off without that, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the worst way to go. You know, I love the balance of, of paying attention to the past and drawing inspiration and yet plotting the course that makes sense now. Yeah. And, and honestly, with new technology, things that were tried in the past that didn't make sense may now be possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you ha- did you bring that back with you in some way in how you, you are personally leading? Yeah, you know, so I, so another example I, I talk about in the book was, um, so one of my previous jobs, I worked for the mayor of Washington, D.C., and mm-hmm. one, of the great, one of the great things about that is we worked in the city hall building, and it was just this beautiful old building with, you know, with like uh, huge staircases, and, and on the outside of the building, there were all these carved um, statues, basically, and, and we, we had our office on the top floor, so I, I kind of had a, a viewpoint right of one of these statues, and, and what I realized was that when you look at these car figurines, that the, you know, when you get it really close, you can see the face of these things that you, you can't really see from the street level. And when I looked at the face, I realized that 
these weren't just like generic faces. These were the, the people who built this building, the, the carvers and artists who made this, you know, 100 years before. They actually, they, they were you know, putting their own faces or maybe the face of a friend or loved one. And this was their way to memorialize and, and leave their mark in that building. So one of the things I used to, I used to challenge you know, people who joined the team on the mayor when you know, they come on, I would take them to this room that had the, the, the very special, where you could get the special view of the statue. And, 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 I, and I always kind of say, I tell them that story that 100 years ago, an artist carved that and they, he left his mark or she left his mark on this building. You know, so I challenge people to say, all right, 100 years from now, what, what mark do you want to leave on the world by having this job? You know, what, what do you want to do? What legacy do you want to leave? And that was kind of a, a symbolic way for me to make that point, that, that it's, it's all about feeling the spirit of those who've gone before you and have worked before you in that same place. So let me ask you then, as we wrap up this segment, I love the question, what legacy do you want to leave? Do you, do you have a personal sense of yours? I assume you do. Yeah, yeah. In many ways, uh, you know, writing books is that for me. So, um, so I'm, I'm the, part of the reason I wrote this book, I'm, I'm on a personal mission to help people um, discover the Camino. So, you, you know, if uh, if they if it's a challenge or an opportunity that they want to walk, you know, the, the Camino changed my life in in a very good way. And then, so by writing the book and by doing interviews like this, I'm I'm hoping that that uh, you know, people more as I do this, more people tell me that they're interested now in walking the Camino. And I hope that's true because what, what I, I firmly believe that every time someone takes a step on the Camino, the world is made a slightly better place because you have mm-hmm. people from all these different countries meeting each other and sharing this intense experience. And it, I think it's just good for our world to have, to have that happen. That's a beautiful sentiment. M- yeah, makes mine it. seem dull. <laughs> I stumbled into it, so I'm, it's very important to me. Thank you. And mine is about helping leaders solve the world's biggest problems. So I also write. um, I have a series of books. And to your point, that's a way to reach people who we will never meet and do it also in a way that's financially accessible. Yeah. You know what? Because also by writing leadership books, what I like about it is if we can help people become better leaders – we help people that, that work with them have a much happier lives because you, know, you spend a huge chunk of your life at work. Mm-hmm. And if you, gotta, if you can help your boss get better, then that helps everyone. So I think it's a very noble goal. Thank you. You know, it's interesting when I meet spouses of people I've coached, they will often comment about the changes their person has made. It's not just a work change. It's, it's they change themselves. Yeah. And what you're doing is the same thing, right? Yeah, hopefully. So, yeah, if, if people can, if people can improve themselves, that helps. You know, it helps their lives and everyone who's involved in their life, at work and at home and out everywhere. You know, for with yours, I love also that we're meeting that you met and you're encouraging people to meet folks from around the world with who are engaging in a common activity. So it's not those other people or I'm assuming by the time you've walked a hundred miles, you're pretty much bonding with people you see. It's not seeing them as those strange people. Yeah. It's neat because everyone, you know, everyone's wearing the same clothes and then we're all, you know, there's no pretension when you're hiking. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so the, the story goes that you know, af- after walking for a couple hours with someone, you know, everything about them, their deepest you know, desires and fears, but you, you don't know their last name. <laughs> so it's, it's a it's a very it's a very uh, close experience. 
That's, I can just imagine how, when we did Kilimanjaro was with a group of people who had traveled before and in that kind of setting, especially at altitude, you also see body parts that you, mm. yeah, I bet. and just because you don't have, there aren't porta johns along the way. Right. So barriers drop that aren't, that you would never imagine in a work setting. So it's it's interesting to see humans at their very core struggling with in this case struggling but it, I assume on the Camino as well your people are in various shapes and for some people this is a really hard journey Absolutely yeah so it's it, everyone has the same blisters and you know your 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 clothes smell the same after a while and you know <laughs> all that so it's it's it takes that pretension away and it and it, I love that because you, you see people for, for people. You don't see them because of the, 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 how expensive their clothes are or, or what kind of car they drive. You know? And then one of the neat things about the Camino, too, is, is it's kind of lucky as Americans in that you know, we're, Americans are a minority on the Camino. But because all the Europeans that, that do it, they end up having to speak English together because it's, it's the one common language they share. So we get kind of spoiled that, that it's really easy for us to meet others on the Camino because, because uh, we don't have to speak Spanish or French or Italian or German. We can all speak English. That's wonderful. So it is time for us to go on break again. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Victor Prince, and we're talking about his book, The Camino Way, Lessons in Leadership from a Walk Across Spain. We'll be back in a few moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business, you need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, 
please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're with Maureen Metcalf and Victor Prince. We're talking about his book, The Camino Way, Lessons in Leadership from a Walk Across Spain. So, Victor, in the first segment, we talked about the first five of the Camino values. Let's move to number six. Sure. So, the the sixth value that that pilgrims are supposed to to, uh, live by while they're on the Camino is appreciate those who walk with you today. And I kind of, I learned this, this lesson in, in, um, in a, a very interesting way. So um, early on in my first Camino, I was walking and, and this woman was walking with me and she had this tiny little dog, like a, um, you know, the tiny little legs. <laughs> and then, so the mm-hmm. first day, the first day we walked together, it was, it was super fun because it was cloudy out and the, the dog was running around chasing butterflies and it was just a really, really fun day. But then the next day we walked, the, uh, the sun came out and this is July in Spain. And instead of chasing butterflies, this little dog was looking for puddles to put its belly in to cool itself down. Mm. And then, so, so I realized that, geez, this, you know, she's planning to walk hundreds of more miles. And I don't know that this dog can do it. That, that, you know, I don't know if it can make it. So I, I shared my concern with her. And, I, you know, and then I, I said, well, geez, you know, maybe you should carry the dog or, or do something else. But, you know, but she, she didn't want to change anything. And, and I was really worried about this dog. So I, I ended up kind of making the 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 most bold move that one pilgrim can make to another, which is, I said, if you don't take care of that dog, I'm, I'm not going to walk with you anymore. And um, so she, you know, that was the, the, the toughest thing I could do to her. And so she said, no, nah, she's going to keep walking. So I, you know, I, I, I quit walking with her as a way to send that message. And then, then I heard from other pilgrims uh, a, a couple days later that she, she'd stopped her, her Camino and went home with the dog. So the, the lesson mm-hmm. I learned, the lesson I learned from that is as a leader, uh, we've got a, you know, we, we, we work with a lot of folks, but it's our moral responsibility to look for the most vulnerable among us because that poor little dog couldn't speak up and couldn't say, you know, I'm not going to do this. This is not good for me. But I could. So I felt that moral obligation to, to speak up and to appreciate that the challenges that dog was going through and make sure that, that it, its voice could be heard, you know, by, by at least through me. So I think that, that was a big lesson for me, which is you've got to, as leaders, we've got to, we've got to, uh, uh, really look out for the most vulnerable, and sometimes if it means pulling the fire alarm and and saying, yeah, this, you know, there's there's a real danger here, or someone's not doing well. That's it's kind of what we have to do. It, it, I'm just trying to imagine your thought process as you're watching this little creature suffer or struggle, and how often we work with people who are we know are struggling. Yeah. And what does slowing down to attend to their struggles do with our ability to meet our goals? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, and sometimes the toughest thing is, in some ways it's easier when you see someone else struggling as a leader because you, you kind of, that becomes a big thing. But one thing I think we forget sometimes is that we've got to make sure we're taking care of ourselves as well. And, you know, uh, pulling the fire alarm when something's not working for us, even if it makes it, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, but we've got to, you know, appreciate those who walk with us, but also make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And be a good walking partner. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me a time when you struggled and, and recognized that you needed to take care of yourself? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. So it, probably in some ways, you know, just by, you know, the, the reason I walked the Camino, I was, a, I was taking a six-month 
sabbatical because um, I'd worked for for the last several years with in in a, in, a, in in jobs that had a lot of political um, mm-hmm. pressure with them, and then I you know I realized that after both at the local level and the federal level, that I just I needed some time to recharge and, and to get out of that. So that's why I took that. You know, for me it was it was a bold move of t- kind of taking a six month uh, sabbatical out of out of my career and, and doing the Camino. That was that was kind of the way for me to constructively kind of pull the fire alarm and say, you know, and I I need to recharge my batteries here and do something out of the out of the ordinary. And it sounds like that was um, an incredibly valuable investment of time. Yeah, because you know I I didn't walk the trail to to write books or anything, but. Uh, but in many ways, the Camino changed my life, not just in, in a personal level, but um, so after I walked the Camino, yeah, I was kind of full of this confidence. And I said, geez, if, if I can do something crazy like walking the Camino, maybe I can do some other crazy stuff that I've always wanted to do, like write a book. And so I, I ended up writing my first book because uh, I had that huge surge of confidence after the Camino. And you know, that, one, that one did better than I, than I hoped. And so now this, the Camino is my third book. And, it, and the Camino has really kind of uh, helped me find a whole new career. Thank you for sharing that. It, it just sounds like a delightful experience. Yeah, I'm it's, to... it's life changing when when you do something that you, you kind of think is a little bit crazy, but in a constructive way. You know, and sometimes that can be mm-hmm. like climbing climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or, or doing something like that. It can help you in your life. You know, after your vacation, back in your work, and all that, because it gives mm-hmm. you this big surge of confidence that. You say, geez, if, you know, if I can climb Mount Kilimanjaro, I can probably do a radio show or mm-hmm. I can write a book. So I, 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 my, my guess is you probably had some of the same experience. I, I did. And, and the one that's coming to mind right now, less about a big experience, but a mindset shift. It's so easy to get cranky and see the faults in people because that's how our brains are wired, right? It keeps us safe to see the faults and manage the risks. Mm-hmm. But the mindset of appreciating people around us who just do kind things every day mm-hmm. and the, the folks who get up early because it's their job to shovel snow in the winter so I can make it to an early flight and my life is easier because there are a lot of people's jobs who are hard right and some of them walk along with me like my boyfriend but there are also people I will never see and when I uh, started learning about positive psychology and the value of just gratitude, it really made a big difference in my outlook. Because again, our, if my brain is wired to see risk, I, yeah, as a consultant, that was a core skill of mine. And so learning to find the positive, even on tough days, was not a skill. And right. so, so that appreciating both people on not meet and also people I find frustrating. If I can think of something I appreciate about them before I walk into a meeting, it makes the meeting a lot more effective. Yeah, that's very true. So let's move on to the seventh and final in your book, and we may have time to go through a couple other things that you learned as well. Sure. Yeah, so the, the seventh value that pilgrims are supposed to live while they're on, they're on the Camino is imagine those who will follow you. And in many ways, I think this is one of the most powerful lessons of the Camino uh, de Santiago Trail because um, when you walk the Camino, you realize that someone's literally probably 30 minutes behind you or or 30 feet behind you. But also, someone's going to walk that trail a year after you do and a century after you do and and all that. And it it leaves pilgrims with this ethos that they want to leave the trail 
in at least as good a shape as they found it. So people who follow them, you know, years later or centuries later, will have be able to share that same experience. And I think that's a, a very important lesson for leaders too, because when we think about the the jobs that we're in, you know, that hopefully you know we're not going to be the last COO or or, or VP or director or whatever of, of that in that company. You know, hopefully that you know long after we retire or win the lottery or whatever, someone else is going to be holding that job. And we have a kind of a responsibility to, to, as leaders to make sure that we leave that job in as good of a shape or, or hopefully even better than, uh, than we found it. So that means that you know, we make the right decisions, uh, we, we make the right investments, we set the right precedents and other things that are going to help our, our successors down the road uh, be able to do that job effectively as well. So it's, it's the, the big thing is when we think about uh, our day-to-day work, realize that the things we do today, we should be setting up, you know, success for for the organization ten years down the road, not just for, you know, for our immediate future. Well, and and you hit on this when you talked about legacy as well, that writing this book brings the Camino to people and specifically the mindset of the Camino to people who will never walk it. Absolutely, yeah, it's good because I realize that. You know, most people, you know, most people won't have the, the time, you know, they can't get a month off or maybe they don't have, mm-hmm. maybe they can't walk, you know, 15 miles a day or maybe they just, um, you know, maybe they can't afford it or something like that. But, but so I wanted to write the book in a way that it's, it, that people who can't do that uh, can still get the lessons from the Camino by, by, you know, sharing the book and the experience. And, and one of the neat things about the book is, is as I wrote it, I, I interviewed over a hundred pilgrims from 16 different countries and they also shared their stories in the book, so the so the stories aren't just mine. They're they're from pilgrims all over the world as well. That's really cool. Yeah, I was I was amazed. It was like people were so helpful. So you talked about the trail being a thousand years old, and you've mentioned that several times. And so I'm curious. You're walking in the footsteps of people a thousand years ago. Yep. Did you ever imagine, like, who were those people? How did that impact you? Because we live in a country that's 250 years old. Nothing here, if you exclude the Native Americans who actually did live here. um, We don't have paths and buildings and structures. uh, And again, I'm thinking structures from the Native American perspective. We don't have much that is visibly and palpably a thousand years old. Right. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll tell you a, a short story on how that how that really hit me that just how old this trail was because I you know a lot of pilgrims as they go the trail they write they write journals and some of them publish them as books and all mm-hmm. that and I was reading this one pilgrim's account of this hostel he stayed in and, and, and so a lot of the hostels are run by nuns and, and other stuff because there's a religious part of the trail although you don't have to be religious to walk it but uh, so he wrote he wrote about this hostel he said he said you know the the, the nuns yell at you a lot. But the food's pretty good, so overall, it's all right. <laughs> so I, I thought that was pretty funny because I was like, geez, that sounds like the place I stayed the night before. But then when I looked at, looked at the pilgrim who wrote this, this guy wrote this in the 1300s. This wow. guy was, this pilgrim was sharing the same experience. You know, I was sharing the same experience he did 13 years. That just gave me chills. And, then, and, and I just think about, there's, back in the medieval ages, you know, the, the, the trail had tens of thousands of people walking it in the 14, 1300s. And then just so over years, millions of people walked this and people had, you know, I'm sure a lot of the people who walked it had as, as life-changing moment as I had and, and other things. So it just, it's amazing, you know, you just feel the weight of that history in a good way as you walk that trail. 
So we have about two minutes left. What would you like our listeners to walk away with? You know, so one of the other, one of the final lessons I teach, um, I, I learned from the book, is this idea of buy the ticket and then figure out the rest. Because a lot of people, as I as I talk about the book, people say, "Oh, I'm going to do the Camino someday when I retire." And then, but what I found out is a lot of people, you know, by the time you retire, you can't walk 15 miles a day or or, or things like that. So, the, one of the best stories I got from one of those pilgrims was, you know, he, he went to he got laid off from his job, and then he, uh, as he went home to tell his wife, he was like, "Well, you know, let's make this a positive. Let's uh, let's take this time to do walk the Camino because we said we we're going to do it when we retire, but you know, now we've got time." So then his wife. His wife looked at him and said, you know, walk across Spain. You know, you don't even like walking the dog, <laughs> let alone walking across Spain. But he said, he, he said, you know what, let's, let's buy the ticket. You know, maybe we buy it for six months from now. We, then we'll give us time to get in shape and we get the right equipment and stuff. And, but we'll set a, you know, we'll set a goal. And if, and if it turns out we go out there and if, and if we don't like it, we get hurt or something, we just take trains and buses and have, you know, a, a different kind of vacation. But let's commit. Let's buy the ticket. You know, for six months from now, and it's so put a line in the sand to say we're going to do it. So I think that's a big lesson for people is when you have a, a big bucket list goal, like, you know, like going and doing mm-hmm. a trip like this or something, is buy the ticket, make a commitment to do it, buy the ticket, and figure out the rest. That's a beautiful lesson. Yeah. So, Victor, how would people reach you, find your blog, learn more about your work? Yeah, so the, the best place is uh, my website, victorprince.com. And then so you can learn all about uh, it's all three of my books and then my the executive coaching services I offer, keynote speak, speeches, and then also the training I do with a company called Thought Leaders. Uh, we do corporate training. So that's the best place to find me, victorprince.com. Great. Thank you. And and you and I are both instructors for Thought Leaders. So that's a, yeah. a nice shout out to our team. So this is Maureen Metcalf, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to hear from you. Specifically, my challenge to everyone is how do you take what you learn today in this show and every other show and put it into practice in your life? We would love to, I would love personally to hear about it. And if you have suggestions for additional guests or topics you want us to cover, let me know. Either info at metcalf-associates.com or Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations sorry, Innovative Leadership on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and please connect with us again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.